0: Aiken, and I'm so glad to be with you this morning. I am from that church across town called St. John's. Uh, Many of you I know from many different places, and it's so good to see familiar faces this morning, and many of you I don't know but hope to before all of this is over. Um, I am certainly honored as well. Yesterday, this is the second day in a row I have been at Second Baptist Church. Um, Yesterday, one of my very, very closest friends in the world, Dot Thompson, was remembered here uh, in a memorial service. Dot and I met in 1985, and uh, she was my role model as a woman in ministry, Dot and I became very, very close friends, and um, I I can't really believe she's gone because she was just larger than life for me. But I thought, how special that on the day after her service that I get to be in this pulpit. And so thank you for those who invited me, and um, I so appreciate that. The text that I'll be using this morning is from Matthew 18, it's the gospel, and it is verses 15 on, talking about if a brother sins against you. So I thought, you know, forgiveness is such a strange word because it brings so many different thoughts with it. If you think about forgiveness... What is the very first thing that comes to your mind? Forgiveness. You don't have to say it out loud. Well, surrender. Something else. Love. Love. So interesting because we can have very negative thoughts when we hear the word forgiveness. Forgiveness. They can bring back harsh memories. We can have very positive thoughts when we hear the word forgiveness that can bring hope. We can just have memories. Uh, there's so many layers of that word that it's impossible to put it into one into one thing. So I'm not even going to try. Um, but I am going to think about our Jewish rabbi Jesus who taught about forgiveness in the New Testament passages that we read and to remind us that Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was always a Jew till the day he died. And sometimes I think we forget that. We think he started a whole new thing And he wasn't a Jew anymore. But that is not the case. So, it's very interesting that Jesus celebrated Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, for those of you that may not know, is the highest Jewish holiday that there is. It is the holiday of all for the Jewish people. The community itself uh, celebrates it together. Leading up to that day, they traditionally ask for forgiveness for all of their wrongdoings from each other, from God. But then once the day gets there, it is a different story all in itself. There is a... um, an article by a woman named Laura Shaw Frank and she explains that Jews strive to transcend their mortal bodies on Yom Kippur they try and just focus on their souls they want their souls to be pure Traditionally, Jews fast on Yom Kippur, refraining from food, drink, for 25 hours. I don't know if I'd make a good Jew. Um, It's also traditional to refrain from other earthly pleasures, such as uh, wearing leather shoes or um, bathing. Because in ancient days, those were luxuries. They're not so much now, but they were then. And so if you can imagine giving up any luxury that you have, and they would usually wear white, symbolizing purity. They didn't talk. They prayed. They had a series of prayers that are absolutely beautiful that they would go through the day and repeat over and over. Jesus was no stranger to Yom Kippur. He was no stranger to forgiveness. He was no stranger to giving forgiveness. But as a Jew, he was also no stranger to accepting forgiveness. That's kind of something we leave out, I think, sometimes. Is that to be a Jew, there had to be that mutual sense of forgiveness. The uh, confessional statements that Jews recite through the day, and I thought this was really interesting, are plural. They're not single. They're not, Forgive me. Look what I did. I'm sorry. They're plural. And so it's not a day of mourning past mistakes, but it's a day for recognizing that we all are human. We all hurt others. We all are hurt by others. And that the only way that we can really lift ourselves above all of that. Is to do that in a community. I gave the example in the first service of of um, Benny, Benny, right? Benny, ben. ben, Ben. If Ben tried to come over and pick me up, bless his heart, he would have. <laughs> he might survive, but he might not. But if all the choir came and tried to pick me up, that'd be much easier. It is the same, it is the same in our community. If one of us tries to take it on all by ourselves, it's not gonna happen unless somebody gets hurt. So by facing our wrongdoings as a collective, We lift each other up. We help each other go into whatever it is that we are going into as a collective. In Jewish theology, this is one more thing I want to say about this, which I think is really interesting. Only the victim has the right to forgive so the person who has done it cannot go up and say, I'm sorry, first. The victim, they can, but the victim is the only one that has the right to forgive. However, someone has to go up three times and ask for forgiveness. If that person chooses not to forgive, then that person is just as guilty as the one asking forgiveness. They both now carry that that weight, so neither one of them have to carry it themselves. Well, that doesn't seem fair. Well, there's a lot of things about God that don't seem fair. But now this is Jesus' teaching. You have to remember this is Jesus teaching out of his Jewish heritage. So you can see how he got into so much trouble with the Romans that would just say, well, you don't forgive, you just cut their arm off. That wasn't his world. That wasn't his way. It couldn't be. It wasn't him. So... In the words of Jesus, responding to working out the problem that was read in the scripture in Matthew. Let me kind of give you just a little bit of things to add on to it that I discovered while studying this. The first step was, yes, in the words of Jesus regarding a problem, go to the person who has harmed you. That's clear there. Clear here the second one bring witnesses or third parties with you to help with perspective you know you hear about that if you take someone with you and they don't listen go get somebody else but what we don't understand it it's not just anybody else it's somebody that can offer perspective somebody that's not going to Um, bind up with one or the other but somebody that has a clear perspective that can hear both parties not just one and then it goes on then tell it to the church if we see the church members as advocates for good listeners hearing accountability and healing restoration to the community so it makes no sense for someone to get up in front of a church and i have i have seen this not in front of a whole church but in front of a very large choir that was probably about as big as this church um have heard a woman say well i just have to confess to you that i had an affair with the choir director okay, well, I just really wanted to pull her off of the platform real fast, like one of those crooks, you know, that you put around in vaudeville and you just pull them off. Because what in the wide world did that do? It just made people gossip, and it just made people talk, and it was not helpful, I promise. And so Jesus is not talking about Just go tell it to the church. If you can't get members, just tell it to the whole church. No, no, no. He's talking about the same thing. If there are members in the church that can be helpful, if there are members in the church that can help sort this out, go to them. Get their wisdom. Get their acknowledgement. And then the last thing... They said, treat such persons, if they don't listen, treat them like tax collectors and, um, what's the other people? Oh, Gentiles. Yes, Gentiles. Well, we seem to think that tax collectors and Gentiles in the Jewish world were so horrible that you could barely even stand them. But what did Jesus say to do to the tax collectors? And the Gentiles he said to love them he said to give them another chance and I know this may sound so weird but that is what he said he said to start over so those words from him may have a little bit of different twist on them this morning and as I was studying and reading those I thought well I don't know that we've done that quite the way our rabbi taught it to be done from his Jewish background. So, how do we forgive? There's two things I really want you to hear this morning. If you hear nothing else, nothing, 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 please hear this. Like if you're writing something down, write it real big in orange. One thing is that forgiveness is a process. It is not the kind of thing that you just go up and say, well, I forgive you. OK, well, thanks, I forgive you. How, how sincere is that? It's not. It's a sense that we go to someone, we forgive them. But how do we know if we really forgive? This is my own experience, so this is not scientific, but it's my own experience. But it's had a lot of experience with it. I realize that I begin to forgive someone when I hear their name and I don't feel like something's got me by the throat anymore. When I hear their name and I feel like I don't want to throw up right then. When I hear their name and it's just... A name and I don't have these horrible things about them or want to go key their car and so perhaps that can be something for you to remember if you are having trouble forgiving somebody and you say well I've forgiven them well you might have said you've forgiven them and that's certainly the first step absolutely But it's when you start letting it go. And that's a process. That none of us knows how long that takes. So hear that. Hear that it's a process. The second thing is to give yourself space for that process. Um, A wise, wise person of mine, right along with Dot Thompson, was Ted Dodds. And I went into Ted one day and I said, Ted, I had got to go somewhere and get quiet. And he said, well, if you want something really, really primitive, let me suggest to you Christ in the Desert Monastery. I said, okay, I'm gone. So I went. Now, I'm not a camper at all, and that's kind of like camping in a building, sort of. It's it's really interesting. But it is the most beautiful place in the world. It is as quiet as you want it to be. It's about five and a half hours from here, um, north of Santa Fe. And it's called Monastery of Christ in the Desert. You can be as quiet as you want to. You can go to their offices, their worship services, their time. But I would really suggest, if you want somewhere to just be quiet... Or to just get away and get off the grid. Um, Monastery of Christ in the Desert is a wonderful suggestion. So those two things. Process takes time. And place yourself in a place that can give you that time and that quiet. So we're going to change up a little bit and go ahead and say the Lord's Prayer. But I'd like to invite us to say it in the plural that Jesus actually taught us to pray it in, but we don't remember it, or we don't think about it, or we've never thought about it. So for instance, our Father, not my Father. And when we get to those plural words, let's kind of stop for just a second and realize Oh, that's all of us. So let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses